Hi, my name is Jennifer, and I'd like to welcome you to James World, sponsored by the students of Solid Rock in Vista, California. These talks are given by James Parkinson, who has been a teacher of esoteric ideas since 1970. I found that James is able to present esoteric ideas in a very practical way. I sincerely hope that you find these talks useful in your efforts for a peaceful and happy life. I would like to talk to you about emotional mastery. I would like to talk to you about it, but I can't because there is no such thing in our current condition. We don't have such a thing as emotional mastery. But that doesn't mean we can't work toward it. The barrier to the mastery of the emotional center is identification. What stops us from getting mastery over our emotional center, over our emotions, is the fact that we identify with emotions that we're under at the moment. So at any given moment, we will be under some emotions and we will be identified with those emotions and so identified with those emotions that it will be impossible to control them because we won't know that we're having emotions. All we will know is that we feel this way or that way with no recourse to do anything about it. This is the way I feel. This is the holy grail of the ego. This is the holy grail of humanity. I feel this way. Therefore, Nothing can question that because this is my experience. So this is our God. We take our emotional state for granted. We feel emotionally jealous, which is different from feeling instinctively jealous, and we don't question it at all. We just feel it and we go with it. We completely identify with the emotion. When we're emotionally depressed, we take it as our state without challenge. How are you today? I'm depressed. Why is that? Well, I don't know. Well, what's it feel like? Well, you know, it just feels like being depressed. No question about it. No challenge. Just, this is my state, therefore, this is what I have to have. This is how I must live. Remember when I talked about the three elephants and the five elephants? You remember the mad elephant? The mad elephant being the emotional center. And the only way to try and control this emotional center was to bring two tame elephants alongside of this mad elephant. And those two tame elephants were the intellectual center and the moving center. Now, of course, the intellectual center and the moving center aren't tame for us, but they are tamer than the emotional center. And so that's where we start. We start by bringing the intellectual center and the moving center alongside the emotional center to try and rein it in somewhat. The difficulty in observing the emotional center is that we can't do it in a non-identified way. And the reason we can't, obviously, is because we're identified with emotions more than anything else. It's so much easier for us to say about that thought, well, that's just a thought. It's so much easier to say for us to say about a sensation, well, it's just a sensation. But when it's an emotion, it's not easy for us to say, well, it's just an emotion. Because we say, I feel this. And we trust our emotions. We trust our feeling. We have a lot of investment in them. Everyone has a typical series of recurrent emotional states that are varying from excitement and enthusiasm to depressed and morbid feeling. We just swing from here to here and back again. And it's a constant movement. And we may spend some time in the depression or some time in the morbid feelings or some time in the excitement or the enthusiasm, but it's really not that much time. It will change. The force of emotions is so blinding that we remain fixed 
on the turning wheel of our own emotions. It's like we're tied, riveted, glued to this turning wheel of emotions. And it's recurring. And they're the same emotions over and over and over again. And we become familiar with them. Oh, this is this. Oh, this is that. Oh, I feel this way. Oh, I feel that way. But we never see them all together because we're identified with each one in turn. That's how we feel. And we know that we want to feel differently or we don't want to feel differently. This is a good feeling. Let's stay here. But we don't know how to do anything about it. So we have no mastery over our emotions because we have no mastery over our emotional center. We don't distrust emotions, but we take them as real, genuine states. And this is the crux of the problem. We don't distrust them the way we can distrust our thoughts. Now, you have trained yourself or you're beginning to train yourself to distrust your sensations. You don't have to scratch just because it itches. You don't have to move just because you're calling this sensation that you're having uncomfortable. And you have trained yourself to see this and to overcome this. You have trained yourself to a certain degree to stop certain kinds of thoughts, to just separate from them, to back away from them and to not give them your sense of self, to not give them your identity, to not give them your seal of approval, to just let them go. But emotions, that's an entirely different matter. We don't challenge our emotional states. We don't distrust our emotions. We take them as the most real, genuine part of ourselves. If we feel something about somebody, that person's fate is sealed until we feel something different about them. What is the biggest moneymaker today concerning emotions? Well, sex, yes, but actually the big moneymaker is getting matched up, dating, you know, this big dating thing. It's like, We'll match you on 29 different personality traits, you know, 29 different levels of personality. We'll match you on this. We'll match you on that. Find the person. Aren't you curious? Wouldn't you like to see who you'd be matched with? And it's just this overwhelming. There are more and more of them all the time. Why is that? Well, it's because our emotions are not under control. So this is the area that is most easily attacked. This is the area where we are most easily led. So if I can hook you in the emotional center. I can drag you off like fish on a line. So we think, unfortunately, that our emotions are right. If I feel it, it's true. If I feel it, it's right. If I feel this way about a person, it's true. It's the way it really is. It's the way that person really is because I feel it. I hope you're beginning to see the insanity and the danger in this. For somebody who wants to be fully developed, who wants to have all of his centers in harmony. This is very dangerous. Let's just put it that way. In fact, it's insane. To allow this to go on is insane. Not only do we allow it to go on, we will protect it. We will risk our very lives to protect our right to make believe that what we feel is real. Somebody tries to take that away from us, that one thing more than anything else is the thing that we will fight for. Now, outside of the instinctive center fighting for its own life, for its own, for, for the physical body. Outside of that, this is the one thing that we hold. We, we know we can change our minds, but not our feelings. Our feelings are real. And when they change, we don't understand why they changed. We have reasons. I don't love that person anymore. How many people get divorced because they don't love the person anymore? Now, they couldn't live without this person. They were willing to give up everything for this person. But then a year later or 18 months later, or two years later, or five years later, or 10 years later, whatever amount of time, they don't love that person anymore and they have to get a divorce. 
They can't stand to be in the same room with that person anymore. They can't stand the sight of that person anymore. Yet they love that person. We're willing to give up their lives for that person before. What changed? The person changed, not my feelings. My feelings only changed because this is no longer the person that I loved. We don't question that my feelings have changed. We only question that that person is no longer the person that I felt that for. If that person were to come back, I would have those feelings again. Insanity. Our starting point in emotional mastery must be the observation of the emotional state as something with which we are not compelled to go. I don't have to go with this emotional state. Oh, what a concept. What? I don't have to feel this? No, you don't. Have, but I do feel this. But you don't have to feel this. But I do think this. But you don't have to think this. Oh, well, I know that. I know that I can replace that thought with another thought. I know that I can climb the ladder of thought and reach higher thoughts and greater ideas and broader, more expansive states of mind through climbing that ladder of thought. I know that because I've done that. But emotions, I have to feel the emotions. They're real. These are my emotions. We're totally identified with them. When you start to see how identified you are with your emotional states, when you start to see what they have made you do, when you start to see what a slave you are to them, it's a little frightening. You can get a little indignant about it. <laughs> What's all this about? But fortunately, they throw the hood back over our head and we're no wiser in five or six seconds after we had the realization. We're gone again, hoodwinked as it were. We don't have to go with the emotional state that we're in at the moment. Can you observe your emotional state without taking it for granted as your real state? Have you gotten to that point? Have you ever had the opportunity to observe the emotional state that you're in as not your real state? Yes. You've been angry and you've been able to say, wait a second, no. And especially if it's a big anger, because big angers are like squalls. They, whoosh, they blow up whoosh, and they go away. It's the cold, cool building angers that we work on through internal consideration day after day, after week, after week, after month, after month, after year, after year, until finally it is so overpowering that we feel this. And it's not a squall anger, it's a built up anger and it's like an inclined plane. And we reach the peak and it plateaus and we can stay there for years. And then if we work hard, there's an inclined plane the other way, going down, a decline plane, and we can get off of it. But some people, it takes them literally years and some people can't do it in a lifetime. If you have nurtured a state like that by feeding it with internal consideration, pride and vanity, it can take you lifetimes to get rid of it. It's dangerous. We must develop a work memory, a work memory of our typical recurrent emotional states. We have to learn to question a particular emotional state. We're not going to develop a work memory without observing our emotional states. If you don't observe them, you won't be able to remember them because you won't know they happened. You will take them for granted as just part of being you. So our first step is to begin to observe them, to begin to acknowledge, yes, I have emotional states. I'm not always the same. I have emotional states and they differ and they change. Then we realize that the work tells us we don't have to go, to go with them. You don't have to go with them any more than you have to go with negative thoughts. You have a choice. If you can become conscious, if you can become aware of them, you have a choice. You can say no to them. You can remember through work memory where those negative thoughts took you before. And you can say no, and you can reach for something better, for better thoughts, because they're there. And you can pull yourself out of the decline of negative thoughts that decline into negative emotions. 
You can do that. Or the negative emotion that draws the intellectual center into it and fills your mind with negative thoughts. Justifying thoughts, why you're negative and why it's right to be negative because that person did this and then you, the internal consideration starts again. I didn't get what I'm owed. I should be treated better than this. So we first develop work memory by observing our typical recurring emotional states. And then we learn to question our particular emotional state. Challenge your emotional states with things like this. Why am I in this emotional state? Simple question, so you find yourself depressed. Well, why am I in this emotional state? Not, why am I depressed? Notice I'm not saying that. I'm saying, why am I in this emotional state? Do you have any idea why I might say that? Why would I suggest that, Jennifer? Because phrasing it that way, you're already detached. Exactly. When you phrase it that way, you are already beginning to separate from it. You are already stopping the identification. You've identified it as a depressed state. So how do you know you were depressed? Well, I've been depressed before. I am depressed. I have been depressed. Why am I in this emotional state? It is something that you visit. It's a state that you visit. Why am I in this emotional state? Why am I not in this emotional state? Well, how about this emotional state? Just like a hopscotch squares. Little hopscotch squares. You can step in any one you want. Or you can avoid, avoid the ones you don't want to be in. But you have to have some work memory about your emotional states. You have, have to, you have had to observe them. You've got to see the pattern of them. You've got to see they are like a hopscotch pattern. And that you could land in this one or land in that one. Or that you could step in this one or step in that one. It's up to you. But you can't do that without some kind of work memory where you begin to see the pattern of it all. But when you see the pattern of it, then if you can become conscious of it at the moment, you have some choice about it. You're not compelled to land there. You're not compelled to be in that state. So you start by asking yourself, why am I in this emotional state? To what is it due? In other words, in connection with what has it arisen? Well, we'll usually find that it's connection with what? Internal considering. Yes, internal considering. Our pride and our vanity has not been satisfied. And if it's not been satisfied, the monster is out of the cage. And once the monster is out of the cage, all hell has broken loose. It's the pit itself has opened up. The smoke is arising and the dragon comes flying out, breathing fire and smoke, destroying everything in its path. Why? Because pride and vanity has not been satisfied. Because we haven't received the proper amount of flattery to keep us afloat. The effort of internal attention will begin to separate you from an emotional state so that you don't believe in it, so that you don't go with it, so that you don't take it for granted. So what we're talking about here is effort, the effort of internal attention. You make the effort of internal attention, looking inward instead of outward, and noticing your emotional state. Looking inward and noticing to what it is due. Looking inward and noticing what it is that you're in. Why am I in this emotional state? What brought it about? That's internal attention. That's good. But it does take effort. There are two sources of emotional states. One is external stimulus. We're not rightly treated. Something unpleasant has been said to us. They didn't look at us right. You know the one? Yes, I can tell by the smirks and the smiles and the little grins that you are aware. Yes, 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 I'm afraid I am aware of that. I am a slave to that, yes. If I don't get, if the external stimulus is not right, I'm going to end up in this emotional state. If the external stimulus is right, I'm going to end up in this emotional state. It's, it's fascinating. You can tell people who are led around by their emotions so easily. 
It's so easy to make them frown or smile. They're, they're totally reactive because they believe completely in their feelings and they believe completely in their right to be flattered. It's their due. It's not just their right. It, they're owed it. They're owed flattery. They're owed worship. They're owed adoration. They're owed respect. When you're owed all of that stuff, you are one miserable human being because there's no way that you can get it. No way that you can get all that you're owed, all that is due you. And the bigger an appetite you have for it, the more miserable you become. We all know people like that. What we don't know is how much we are like that. The other source of emotional states is our typical habitual emotions that come from the pathetic feelings about our past. We can be so pathetic. The overcoming of the past is one great line of personal work on yourself. It is a lifetime worth of work. It is something that you will be doing if you do it for the rest of your life. So much has been stored up in our past that we will be processing it out and purifying ourselves from it for the rest of our lives. My point in this is you better start smiling now because it doesn't get any better than this. And if you're not happy now, you're never going to be happy. Not really. You're not going to be in charge of your happiness. And if you're not in charge of your happiness, you're not in charge of anything. Nothing that matters. People, you better get it now because this is it. This is the moment. This is the moment of realization. Either realize now you could be happy right now and choose it, accept it, embrace it, or don't. Wait until the moment is right. Wait until the stars have lined up just right. Wait until the people are all doing exactly what you want them to do, exactly what they need to do to make you happy. Wait for that moment. Don't hold your breath, but wait for that moment. Keep breathing. Remember to breathe in, breathe out, keep moving. Keep doing all the other things you have to do in life until you get to that perfect moment where you can be happy. I was talking to Patty the other night and I discovered after talking to her that, that her idea of happiness was the absence of suffering. Uh, wow, that's a really narrow margin. <laughs> you know, that's a thin line. Okay, so the only place that I can be happy is in the absence of suffering. And of course, the older you get, the more your body breaks down, the more it aches and, you know, the more it creaks and the more our past catches up with us. The less and less opportunity we have to be happy because we suffer almost all the time. There are people who suffer 24 hours a day. That's it. They're in, they're in pain. How do they ever find a way to be happy? Well, they don't have that as a requirement for their happiness. That's how they find a way to be happy. <gasps> what a concept. You could suffer and still be happy? Yes. You could suffer happily. Well, who'd want to do that? Someone who understands that he can't control his life, that he can't control his suffering, and that he can control his happiness if he chooses to. Well, I don't know anyone like that, so that's all theory to me. We nourish our backlog of unhappy moments that we've registered, making escape from this, this emotional vortex that sucks us down into it impossible. We nurture this. We dwell on these things in the past. We nurse them. And we're not nursing them back to health. We're nursing ourselves into a deeper, deeper pit of sickness and prison. These states give rise to negative emotions which create useless suffering. And the wheel turns day after day and we keep repeating over and over and over and over and over again. The same thing, the same emotional states. And we are fixed to that wheel and we will come around to this spot on that wheel. 
again, unless we begin now to do something about it. All the past must eventually be canceled. You can have nothing against anyone. All debts must be canceled. All debts must be canceled. This was the thing we were talking about, Patty and I were talking about, where she realized that she couldn't be happy because she had to make Rex pay. She wasn't going to cancel that debt. He is going to pay. And if it cost her her happiness, that is a small price to pay for the joy of being right, for the joy of being the God of the universe who gets to determine who pays and who doesn't. For the joy of control. There's no control because, of course, she can't make Rex pay. She can't do anything except pay with her own happiness, pay with her own peace of mind. So when you see people doing this, don't fret. There's nothing you can do about someone's choice. There's nothing I can do about her choice not to be happy. There's nothing I can do about your choice to go with emotions that are not yours. So there's no sense in fretting over it because you have no control over it. You do, however, if you begin to develop internal attention. You do have the beginnings of control over your emotional, your own emotional center. And that is what we're talking about. All the past must eventually be canceled. This is a big one for us. All the past, yes, all of it. But what about this horrible thing that I can never forgive? Forgiveness is not enough. I know lots of people who forgive. They don't forget. And they'll even tell you, well, I forgive it, but I won't forget it. Well, then you haven't canceled it. And if you haven't canceled it, what do I care whether you forgive it or not? What do you care whether you forgive it or not? It means nothing to you. Because until you cancel it, it still has power over you. Until you cancel it, you are still tied to it. Until you cancel it, you have taken a drywall screw and screwed your hand to the floor or to the ceiling or to the wall. Not a very bright thing to do, fixing yourself to that kind of an emotion, to that kind of a stupid debt that you could so easily cancel. Not a very bright thing to do, but no one ever said we were the brightest stars in the heavens. If they did, they lied. You can only do this by completely changing your opinion of yourself. The problem with us is our opinions of ourselves. We value ourselves far more highly than we ought to. We think far more of ourselves than we should. We have too much pride and vanity. We value ourselves. We place a greater worth on ourselves than is realistic. And then we demand that other people pay the price. You owe me because I'm worth more. And we increase our misery exponentially. And we do it as mechanically as we breathe. What I'm saying is a little bit of internal attention can throw a monkey wrench in this wheel and stop it from turning from time to time. And all we need is a little bit so that we can start to see and start to develop some work memory about this. We become negative with someone for acting toward us in a way that we think is wrong. Lospensky said to non-identify, take nothing seriously except the work. Think about it. I can work. Nothing else is important. The only thing that is important is the work. This is not a huge leap for me, but it may be for other people. Other people may think that their love life is important. Other people may think that their family life is important. Other people may think that their financial life is important. Other people may think that their business life is important. Some people may think that their physical life is important, that their sex life is important. But what this is saying is to not identify, don't take anything seriously except the work. So make the work important and everything else pale in comparison. That's easier said than done because it takes valuation and you can't value the work without doing it. In other words, until you begin to observe yourself, really observe yourself, genuinely observe yourself, 
until you begin to see the things that you don't now see. The things that you need to see in order to completely change. You remember what I said? In order to, you know, we've got to cancel everything. Everything in the past has to be canceled. But in order to do that, what do we have to do? You have to completely change your opinion of yourself. And the only way to do that is through self-observation. You can't change your opinion of yourself in any other way. You must see for yourself what you are really like. Not what you think you're like. Not your opinion of what you're like. But what you're really like. And there's only one way to do that, proper self-observation. And once you do that, you begin to see what you really like, you'll want to change. If you don't, then you're obviously not seeing what you really like. And if you do see what you really like and you don't want to change, then you have everything that you want. And as the work says, imagination satisfies every center. To non-identify, take nothing seriously except the work. If you observe you're in an unpleasant state, it means that you're not completely identified with it. This is good. This is a step. You're slightly conscious of being in a negative state towards some person. How will you deal with it? This is where the rubber meets the road. How will you deal with it? Well, I'll figure out what they did that was wrong to make me feel this way. Okay, that's not the right way according to the work. That's the right way according to your, your false personality. That's the right way according to your pride and your vanity. That's the right way according to self-justification. But that's not the right way according to this work, which aims at freeing you from the bondage of pride and vanity the bondage of false personality. How will you deal with it? What is it that makes you negative in regard, in regard to this person? So we have to stop and look. Well, well, why is it that I get negative about this person? What is it that makes me negative about this person? So you're already owning, I'm doing this. I'm in charge here. I'm the one who gets negative about this person. This person doesn't make me negative. I make me negative in regard to this person. Concerning this person, I can count on myself to make myself negative in regard to this person. Now, why is that? And if you have a book of self-observations that you've made, then you may be able to leaf through page after page of that book. And you may be able to find in your work memory what it is that bothers you about them is something in you. What it is that makes you negative about them is something that you have been able to observe in yourself. Something that you have up a whole page on. Oh my gosh, look at this. I've got this whole page on this. This very thing that annoys me about that person. And if you don't, then you have the wonderful, glorious position of having a clean, blank, white page in front of you upon which you can begin to make your observations about yourself. Because if you're seeing it in that other person, you have it in yourself. So start writing, start observing, start digging it up in you because it's there. Realizing that you are as difficult produces a feeling of surrender, canceling, and incredible freedom. When you really get that you've done the same thing that you're ragging on this other person about, that you've been easily as difficult and probably worse. All of a sudden, it's like someone unties the knot at the end of the balloon. All the air comes out and it's like, oh. <laughs> well, I guess I've done the same thing. <laughs> and suddenly, all of the big blown up, puffed up pride and vanity of who we are, the air, the hot air comes out of it, and it deflates and it's like, oh, I guess we're all machines after all. The problem is you got to use your intellectual center to do this. I know you've got to think. And I don't mean think like people say think. Well, think about it. I mean think. Directed attention. 
You've got to really direct your attention, observing yourself, going through your records and your work memory, finding it, facing it, not identifying with it, looking at it and saying, yes, this is the cause. The cause is in me. I herein lies the rub, Shakespeare said. Every event happens to you should be capable of being transformed. If it's not capable of being transformed, it's because you choose not to transform it. Because you choose to suck on your past. Because you choose to suck on your negative emotions. Because you choose to suck on your pride and vanity. Your choice. Enjoy your choice. Be happy with it. Because it's your choice. And you're a choice away from real happiness. You're just a choice away from real freedom. You're just a choice away from owning what you're now putting on someone else. This work is about transformation of ourselves in relationship to the past and the present. We transform the events of the present right now by being conscious, by bringing the work ideas right up to the level of incoming impressions. But we can't always do that, can we? Sometimes we can't remain conscious in this present moment. Sometimes we are overwhelmed by old associations. Sometimes something climbs up out of the pit and drags us down into the emotional center. And we find ourselves enraged, depressed, excited, enthralled, thrilled, or some other state. So much of our work has to be done later. We have to go back and look at it and say, well, this is what happened. This is what I did. This is how it went down. And now we have to deal with it. And hopefully we lay traps for future events like that so that when that next event comes, it springs a trap. A red flag goes up. We say, oh, no, I'm not going down that road. I know it's down that road. And we choose not to go. You've done that. That's what our work is about, mostly, and working in the past. Can you remember having said something unpleasant to another person? Can you remember any time in your life where you've said something really cruel, unkind to another person? Just completely uncalled for, unwarranted. Good. Remember that the next time somebody says something unkind to you. The thing is, is that we've got to have these things in work memory. If we don't have these things in work memory, well, I've never said anything unkind to anybody like that. Right. Well, did you ever think it? Oh. <clears throat> well, pardon me? What was that? Did you ever think it? Because psychologically, there is absolutely no difference between saying it and thinking it. So those of you who bite your tongue and don't say it, Congratulations, I am very proud of you. But if you're entertaining it, if you're having a, a private showing and you're entertaining it within yourself without saying it and you're congratulating your pride and your vanity because you're not saying it all the time that you're savoring the negative emotions, savoring the wicked thoughts, savoring the unpleasantness, psychologically, it's the exact same thing. There is no difference whether you hear the shot that kills you or not you're still dead. Whether you see the shooter or it's a sniper a thousand yards away, you're still dead. And that's where we're at, people. And we need to get this. We really need to get this. There isn't any hiding. You can't hide your internal state from yourself. You are the judge. You are the machine. You are the punisher and the rewarder. There isn't someone else outside of you waiting to judge you. You're doing it 24-7, and you can't escape yourself. If you're sincere, you'll always find that you've done the same thing that you are persecuting another person for now. If you're not sincere, you won't find it. If you're not sincere, this work will fall away from you because you have no place in you for it. If you can succeed in this work, if you can continue in this work, you can only continue in sincerity by being genuine. There's no other way.
No one can behave toward you other than the way that you've behaved toward other people because your being attracts your life. Here we have a parting of the ways. At this point, this is the point that you will either take this path or that path because it's a forked road here. But this is the point. If your being attracts your life, then nothing that comes to you can be something that's not in your being. If you don't subscribe to this, you have taken another path. You cannot do this work. This work is based on this idea. Make no mistake about it. It is crucial to understand this. And when you understand this, you are responsible for it. And when you're responsible for it, you can no longer behave the way you have behaved all of your life. So be mindful of this. No one can behave towards you other than how you have behaved towards others. But we believe that we're nice, sweet people. We believe that we're reasonable, even if we're not nice and sweet. There's some of us here who don't think we're nice, sweet people, or at least that's the line we give ourselves. But we think we're reasonable and just and fair. We may not think we're nice and sweet. We may think we have a couple of hard edges, but we think we're right, just, fair. Find yourself wherever you like to find yourself. Remember, in the psychological realm, thinking privately counts as much as what you say. Now, it's true. We're trying not to express negative emotions, so it's okay to bite your tongue. But remember that thinking privately, entertaining, justifying, rehearsing privately, psychologically has the exact same effect, if not more, than actually saying it. All strife gives the possibility of development. What about no strife? Well, no strife, no possibility of development. Oh, who told you that? How does he know that? This is what esoteric teachings have been saying forever. No heat, no transformation, no furnace, no gold, no crucible, no silver. Oh, I don't like that. Fine, find some other way. Find some other way where you can, you know, wave a magic wand or wish or, or whatever. Make it to the mountaintop. Of course, you just float there. You don't have to actually climb because that might take some effort. But this work doesn't say that. This work says it takes effort. This work says without striving, without strife. There's no possibility of development. Praying to end strife in yourself is quite wrong. Praying to remove some difficult person from your life is quite wrong. Praying to remove some difficult situation from your life is quite wrong in the work sense. You know, it's often the little foxes that make the leaks in you. Not the big things so much, it's just the little things. What do I mean by leaks? Well, in alchemy, they have something called a retort. Retort is a container in which you can put something and then heat it. If that has leaks, well then what you put in it leaks out. Now we know that energy and force is an important thing in this work because we need energy and force to be able to do this work because we know that in this universe, it takes energy to do any kind of work. It's just a law. There's nothing we can do about that other than submit to it and then use it to our highest good, intelligently, efficiently, effectively. Or we can fight against it until we wear ourselves out and then accept it unintelligently inefficiently. Thoughts of self-pity make big holes in you, in your retort, in your oven, in your cooker where you do the work. Same thing with envy, jealousy, malice, hatred. All those things, they make huge holes in you and out leaks your force through those holes. This is why the very first thing the work says is try not to express negative emotions because they drain your force and you can never do work if you don't have force. No fuel, no go. And we think that because we're not saying it, that we haven't made holes. But what this work says is no, psychologically, thinking it makes holes. And your force drains out through those holes. When you're offended, you're leaking. 
If you are offended, I don't care what the offense is. I don't care what it is. You're leaking. Call it whatever you want. Well, it's only a tiny hole. Cheer up. A lot of tiny holes can work just the same as one big one. You could drain yourself to death with a lot of tiny holes. A lot of little offenses here and there that you save up. All states of identifying. All states of identifying make holes in you. Every time you identify, you are leaking force, life force that could do this work. It is leaking out of you just as if you'd opened a vein. If we retain our force in a certain way, we can create in ourselves a new man. We seek to reach a higher level of being. I want to reach a higher level of being. Higher than what? Higher than this level. Well, then what? Then higher than that level. Well, then what? Then higher than that level. Well, where does it stop? None of my business. I don't care. Right now, I can reach a higher level by making right effort. I can reach a higher level. Internal attention is right effort. So we have it mapped out. Can a person full of self-pity, envies, jealousies, complaints, malices, depressions, negative states, can a person like that enter the kingdom of heaven? And what's the kingdom of heaven? Higher being. The kingdom of heaven is simply this higher being. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Higher being, higher levels of being are at hand. They're right here. They're, right there. They're at hand. You're that far away. Just like I said, you're a choice away. When you're in a negative state, you're a choice away from being in a higher state. When you're having negative thoughts, you're a choice away from something better. Of course, you've got to be awake to make that choice. You've got to be able to bring the work ideas up to the level of incoming impressions. You've got to be able to mix the ingredients together properly in a good solid, non-leaking retort in order to get the heat to make the chemical change. You know that when you, when you allow yourself to get negative over something someone says, that you are actually combining chemicals inside of yourself. You're making chemical changes in your brain and in your body. A depressed person's chemistry is different from a person's chemistry who's in love. You're a chemistry factory, man. You're doing it. Nobody else is doing it. You're doing it. This way is about man and his permanent meaning not his local meaning. Yes, we have a local meaning to this planet, just like cows do and birds do and bees do and frogs do. But this is not about that. This work is about your permanent meaning. This work is about your meaning after your local meaning is done. So when your body's feeding worms, what are you going to be doing? That's what this work is about. There's something that will respond to man if he makes the right requests and efforts. A lot of people like to spend a lot of time saying what that is. I don't think that really that's important. I think it's more important to spend time and energy making the right requests and the right efforts. Why define what it is that responds and then not know how to make the right requests and the right efforts to get it to respond? It's more important to know how to make the right requests and the right efforts to get it to respond. Then once it responds, maybe you'll get to know it better. Man has meaning in the universe, and the universe has meaning. Now, just because people can't figure out the meaning doesn't mean it doesn't have meaning. It just means that they don't understand. We can grow in understanding. We understand things now that we couldn't understand a hundred years ago. We understand things differently now than we did a hundred years ago. But we have to make the right effort to understand. The work teaches that nearly all emotions we have are negative. Let's take triumph over a rival. It's an unpleasant emotion, though at our level, we take it as pleasant. I beat him. I won. I feel so good. But that, according to the work, is an unpleasant emotion. 
I got a really good bargain. This guy needed to, he needed to, he needed the money. So he sold it for like pennies on the dollar. I got a really good deal. I'm so happy about that. At our level, which admittedly is pretty low, that is a really pleasant emotion. But at a higher level, that's an incredibly unpleasant emotion. Oh man, so I get it. So like you took advantage of some guy's suffering. Yeah, you know, I found this guy and he was bleeding, you know, he was like, he was lying in the gutter and he's bleeding. He was gonna die anyway, so I took everything he had. Oh, well, that's really cool. See, at a higher level, that's not cool at all. But you know, there are levels on this planet that people get into where that's really cool. That's a real score. You gotta choose where you wanna live. It's good to distrust emotions, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant. Our emotions are based on self-love. And this is why the work says we don't have any real emotions. Because all emotions that are based on self-love are not real, because they will change. If there's plenty of flattery going around, we feel very fine. Without it, we're depressed. So I say distrust emotions, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, because we don't have real emotions yet. We can't create positive emotions for ourselves. They come from the higher emotional center. They have no opposite because they come from third force, which is between the opposites. Purify the emotional center by purifying the intellectual center through new ideas and meanings about ourselves and others. This is how it's done. When the mind begins to see new truth, the emotional center can begin to give up false emotions. When you start to see the new truth of, well, I got a really good deal. Well, but somebody really lost a lot. Yeah, but I got a really good deal. His loss is my gain. Well, losers, weepers, finders, keepers. It's really cool. It's my gain. But when you reach a different state of consciousness, you can't be proud of that. You don't want to participate in that. You don't want anything to do with that. It becomes abhorrent. What that is, people, is the mind beginning to see new truth. And the emotional center then begins to give up the false emotions of, wow, I really scored, man. Somebody lost 20 bucks, but I found it. Now I get 20 bucks. And well, well, losers, weepers, finders, keepers. You get that purified out of your emotional center. You begin to give up false emotions you'll find that the things that you most despise in yourself are the very things that have some good in them. You despise your vulnerability. You despise your weakness. You despise your ability to be soft in love. Yet, those are the things that one day you will prize and value above all else when you reach a higher level of consciousness. And you'll only do that by starting right now. Thank you for listening. James World is sponsored by Solid Rock Vista. For more information, visit solidrockvista.com.